Hello, everybody. This is Zach Sudded again. I'm your host, Zach Cooley, and I am honored to be here with, uh, he says he's an amateur filmmaker, but he's really a filmmaker extraordinaire because I have just uh, been honored to be at the premiere of his documentary on the Bowling Wilson Hotel. Um, it is an amazing documentary. Uh, Chris Conti is with me. Chris, thank you so much for being here with me. Oh, it's a privilege to be here with you, Zach, and I, I'm very, very humbled by that gracious introduction. Well, it's, it's, I'm very honored to be talking with you. Uh, I have always um, enjoyed working with you from the time I met you when you were working at the front desk of uh, the Bowling Wilson Hotel in 2014 when you graciously arranged for uh, us to stay there. You also gave my wife and made a tour, and uh, as you know, the George Wythe Hotel, as it will always be to me, is very near and dear to my heart because my great-grandparents stayed there on their wedding night, April 9th, 1944. Uh, my great-grandfather tragically died uh, four months later. He was only 21. He had cancer. Uh, my great-grandmother found out she was pregnant with my grandmother the day of his funeral, so none of us ever knew him, so uh, my great-grandpa Ralph was like a fairy tale prince to all of us. Fast forward 70 years, and um, my daughter has just been born, um, and my great-grandmother comes to see her, and the last picture she has taken is with her great-great-granddaughter. And then um, she died on September 2nd, 2014, about two months before the hotel opened. She was going to be there at the opening. So every time I go in the Bowling Wilson Hotel, I feel uh, a connection to the great-grandfather I never knew and the great-grandmother that I had almost 30 years that I miss very much. So your documentary really brought that to life for me. Uh, so I want to thank you for that. Oh, goodness. I know the, the pleasure is all mine. It, uh, you know, I've, I've heard from a lot of people, you know, very similar, very personal stories like that. And that's, that's, uh, that's one of the things that brings me the most fulfillment from the style of filmmaking that I try to do. You know, I think, I think it's okay learning about history and, can be an emotional experience. I think that's one of the things that uh, that makes it hit home and that makes it relatable. Well, you've always been very humble and call yourself an amateur filmmaker. Do you feel like you've done enough to uh, upgrade that title now? You've had a premiere at the Millwall. Uh, not many people get that. So, do do <laughs> do you feel like that's you can upgrade your title a little bit? Well, perhaps we can drop the amateur. That that might be a good point. Maybe maybe we can just describe me as a filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Now, growing up in Whistville and having a fondness for historical buildings in Whistville, what did it mean to you to have this documentary, which took you two years to make, by the way, uh, premiere at the Millwald? Uh, the, the expression I've always 
thought of when thinking of questions like that has been, um, I was glad to be able to give the Bowman Wilson Hotel slash the George Wood uh, right. an historical voice. Um, Cause you know, every major town in Virginia has an historic hotel that's somewhat comparable to the George Wood or the Bowman Wilson. And a lot of them, the majority of them, I would venture to say, have their stories told either in print or some of them in film. And because of that, hotels like the Martha Washington and Addenden or the Hotel Roanoke are household names in that mm-hmm. part of Virginia. Yes. And, um, I remember early on, even when I was, even when I first worked at the hotel, let alone when I was growing up, it was so difficult to learn about the history of the George Wood Hotel because its story, a concise story of it, had never been told anywhere. And I was I was saddened by that. And I always in the back of my mind, I always wanted that. And I when I in twenty twenty one when I started experimenting with filmmaking and um and that that sort of thing, one of the first projects that popped into my mind was rolling up my sleeves and actually pulling together a story that tells tells the story of this landmark because I, I think it deserves the, the dignity of that kind of historical voice. Well, you and I are kindred spirits, as I'm sure that you already know, in our fondness for this wonderful landmark. Um, because when I was a young writer, a young columnist, I've had this column now for uh, 18 and a half years, but when I had only had it, let's say maybe two or three years, I wanted to do a story on the George Wythe Hotel because when we were driving through and uh, my great-grandmother was in the car, she said, I spent my wedding night there. And, and, And so... Every time I went by that building, I thought about her. I just couldn't, I couldn't get over the, because I'm such a sucker for nostalgia anyway. Oh, no, I'm, I'm right on that page with you. In fact, once I, once I got through most of my research and pulled together kind of like a, an outline of what, what I wanted to tell as far as structuring the narrative, I realized this is kind of a romantic story. I mean, you know, it's this, this glamorous hotel deep in the mountains that closes and then rises again like the phoenix from the ashes. Like it was challenging to structure that narrative in a way that doesn't sound campy or like a like a novel because there there is an air of romanticism around it. It's interesting that you say it shut down and rose because it didn't only do that once. It did that several times in its history. I mean, the the most recent time, it had to sit there for 45 years before it was risen again. But it did. And, I mean, it weathered the polio epidemic. It weathered World War II. You could just imagine the grandeur of, of, of staying in a place like that. I know I can remember my great-grandmother saying, they, the waiters brought the trays, and you know that's when they brought platters out on silver trays with covers. And she said, "I didn't know how in the heck to act." You know, <laughs> just you know, a country lady from Austinville, and and the, these waiters and gloves were bringing these trays, and you could just you could just feel the elegance of the whole thing. 
And, oh yeah. And uh, you know, I I've always been uh, drawn to that. And and what you did, I mean, you you brought that to life. And not only did you give the hotel itself the most beautiful picturesque tribute in a you know a brilliant piece of filmmaking you gave our whole town i think the most beautiful tribute it's been given on film because we don't have anybody you know we've been featured in a lot of television shows we don't have anybody who has talked about the log house structure going all the way back to the wilderness road or the other hotels or the boarding houses that were there i mean and i've been doing you know local history all of my adult life and there were so many things i didn't know and it was just it was just amazing what you came up with and your devotion to it and the, and i thought it was really I thought it was really wonderful too that Stephen De Niro said, I saw it yesterday and it's not the same version that I saw today. You were so devoted to it that you had tweaked it between, you know, that time between showing it to him the day before and letting it premiere at, um, on Sunday. And yeah. that that was amazing to me the, the dedication to it. Yeah, I was I was working up to the eleventh hour. I uh, I I changed a couple of pieces of music in it right before I left my house in Richmond the day before and sent it over to the Millwald and then got in the car and headed to Whistle. So yeah, it, as as someone you know as someone who's a fellow creative type, I mean you know what it's like to struggle for perfectionism you know there's always something extra you can do to just make it a little bit better and that, that was that was what i did with this one it just i had it sitting on my desk for so long and you know it just it went through three or four different iterations and it um that was really only because i kept finding new material um the story like i said of all the of all the stories that i write the ones that involve with bill and with county they are the easiest as far as the writing goes because they write themselves. I mean, I'm not, I'm normally uh, a stone cold pragmatist, but I, I do have a touch of romanticism in me too. And um, Winsville's history is very storybook like. Um, you, you could very easily write a novel about it or stage a period Netflix series there. Um, it, it has a, you know, it has a lot of, very interesting historical elements to it that very few towns have. Um, and so whenever I sit down to write for, let's see, the Bowling Wilson was the third documentary I've done that's been associated with Whitfield. Whenever I sit down to write any of those, they just, the writing just always flows. It's very easy. It's very natural. The stories there themselves, they're just very, I mean, kind of romantic. That, that's the adjective I keep coming back to. It's always been a dream of mine to see the hotel come to fruition. I would love to see the hotel look like it did um, in the, uh, you know, at as the George with, 
and I thought it was very interesting that you noted uh, interior of the interior of the George Witt is extremely rare. I mean, I think you got as close as anybody's ever going to get. That was the part of the documentary that caused me the most consternation. I mean, to the point of where I was figuratively banging my head against the wall. Oh, yeah. and, you know, this hotel was open for almost half a century. There have, there have got to be interior photos somewhere. They're probably in an album in someone's attic or maybe in an album in an antique store in California somewhere. Um, there's got to be some somewhere. And I put my feelers out very, very far. I put out public announcements on Facebook. I, you know, I asked people, and people did produce photos of the exterior, you know, from their family albums. Yeah, so which, which hasn't changed in a hundred years. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so those weren't as useful as the ones from the interior, which I really wanted. And really, the only batch that I found was the one interior of photo of the lobby, which sort of I superimposed, showing where the seating area in the lobby was, which is in the present day gift shop, and a collection of photos of brides having their wedding receptions in the lobby and the ballroom. Other than that, I just, I came up dry. And that was the one thing that bothered me most. If I hadn't had the blueprints, I wouldn't have been able to tell you anything about about it. Which was beautiful, Chris. It was absolutely amazing how you superimposed that because you put it, you you put it there so that we could see it. We see the original blueprints. Thank God uh, Bill Smith let you look at those. Because the only, the only, you know, if I wanted, if let's say that all my dreams come true, and I do this, and I do this, do this book, and it sells well, and I get a movie option for it. If I get a movie option for it or a play option for it, I'm going to want it to be as true to the. I'm going to want to recreate the George West Hotel. And if if you ever got to a point to do that, or I ever got to a point to do that, or anybody, they they would have to do what you did. And what you did is you put you put all of us that want to be in that lobby of the George West Hotel. You put you put us there. Um, you put me there. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that. And that's that's one thing that I always try to do with with my my work. You know, my, my channel's name is Driving Through Time, uh, which is maybe not the most creative name, but the the point that I try to do with all my work is I try to take viewers to the places where history happens. I try to superimpose right. period photos over present day angles, you know, to show yes. you what something looked like. Because when you show when you when you have the ability to show people something, that makes them understand. And that's that's what that's the one thing that I've really just try to keep at the core of my work is showing people history. You mentioned you said you know what it's like being the creative type and there's always more you can do. I do know and I also know that um, you're never, if you're a perfectionist, like as you seem to be, um, you're never quite satisfied. So were you satisfied with the end product? 
I was. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I set out what I achieved. To, to, I achieved what I set out to do from the beginning. I gave the Bowling Wilson or George with uh, uh, an historical voice. It's in a medium that can be shared with people. It shows them history, and it you know it sets out all the three or four primary things I wanted to do. And I'm you know since I did that. I can say that I'm satisfied. I could spend the rest of my life <laughs> dwelling on that and constantly adding to it. But at the end of the day, I wanted to get the story put out there and I wanted to get the hotel voice. I've done that. So I'm pleased. <laughs> and you've done that in a way that nobody else has ever done, not only for the hotel, but for the entire town. And you've done that in a way that nobody else has ever done. And I dare say nobody will ever do anything like that again. You have what you have done is 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 absolutely unprecedented. And I hope that my review brought that home because I could not express that enough. Well, no, your review was very flattering, and of course, excellent writing as always. I um uh, the only things that one of the things I wish I could have done a little bit more expressly in the mm-hmm. documentary is I wish I would have taken another minute or two to really emphasize the connection that Edith Bowen Wilson had with Whitfield throughout her whole life. Um, I know there are some people, um, and I know someone years ago, this was when the hotel first opened. I don't mm-hmm. remember who said this, but every time I think about it, it makes me laugh a little bit. Woman said, "Oh, now there's a museum named after Edith Bowen Wilson. Now there's a hotel named after her. Pretty soon, Whitfield's going to become Disneyland for Edith Bowen Wilson." <laughs> and uh, and I I, I kind of laughed about that, but uh, but I have to say that um, you know I think I, I think the praise that her legacy gets is is meaningful, and I think it's deserved because even though she left Whitfield at the age of 23. Uh, and never lived there again, she still maintained a connection to Whistle. She came back several times to bury her parents there. She buried a sister there, I believe, at least one sister that I know of off the top of my head. She maintained a connection with childhood friends. Um, in fact, on her last visit to Whistle in 1960, right before she died, mm-hmm. uh, there is photographic evidence of her visiting a friend who lived on Withers Road. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, Edith herself barely being able to walk at that point because her legs were so swollen. You know, she still made a, you know, it was still important enough to her to go see a friend that she kept in touch with for all her life. And, you know, I think, you know, I think it's important to, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that growing up in the special place that is Whitfield, Virginia, shaped this human being who, uh, it shaped her character, it shaped her personality. And this person went on to shape world events. And I, I think I think that's worth celebrating. And I think that by celebrating her legacy, you know, that builds a tourism industry in Whitfield, which feeds into the local economy, which in turn mm-hmm. makes it easy practical to celebrate and preserve other historic landmarks. So I've always thought of Whitfield, and again, just to bring this full circle, you know, I don't think of celebrating Edith Bowling Wilson and Whitfield as making it Edith Bowling Wilson Disneyland is that one commentary. Right. I've always looked at the Bowling Wilson Hotel and, you know, of course, Edith Bowling Wilson herself as a catalyst for um, revitalizing Whitfield. And I think almost a decade into this venture, 
you know, we can see that 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 that's worked. That's working. Well, it, it's really interesting. One thing that you said at the uh, at the premiere, you said, "I did not want to spend too much time on Edith Bowling Wilson's childhood." You've considered, you know, possibly doing a full length documentary on Edith Bowling Wilson. What I would like to see about Mrs. Wilson it is specifically her time in Whitfield, a film dedicated to the time she spent in Whitfield, perhaps extracting uh, the exact words from her memoir uh, to, to, as you said, uh, focus on her um, focus on her connection uh, to Whitfield and her, you know, her lifelong roots because she obviously never forgot them. Uh, mm -hmm. so I thought that was interesting that you said you didn't want to spend too much time on her childhood. Why? Well, as 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 opposed to talking about uh, her life in Washington, as opposed to that. Sure. Well, I, I kind of uh, kept it brief in the documentary for a few reasons. For one, you know, I wanted to keep the focus on the story of the hotel itself. Correct. There were, every sentence was a potential rabbit hole to, <laughs> to very easily fall into an Edith Bowen Wilson biography, which I didn't want to do in this right. particular. So, you know, in the interest of staying on topic, I, I wanted to omit as much unnecessary biographical information as possible. I just wanted to demonstrate enough information about her to demonstrate her significance as first lady. Uh, because, of course, that's why there's a museum in Whistle dedicated to her, which is why there's a hotel dedicated to her. So mm -hmm. I just tried to keep it in the interest of time and keeping it concise. I wanted to keep it limited. Um and also, you know, it's funny you should say about the video that you would like to see of her girlhood years in Whitfield. It's that keeps popping up on my radar for some reason. Mm -hmm. Possibly making some kind of a biography film about her. Um, because, you know, every time I'm doing a research project, every single video of the last five that I've done, including the Bowling Wilson, of course. Whenever I've been researching at the library in Roanoke or Richmond, something about Edith Bowling Wilson always pops up out of the blue. For example, I was researching at the, uh, the library in Roanoke last year, and I was, that was actually when I was doing some research for the railroad documentary in Whitfield. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I found it. It was way deep in this corner of the library. But there was um, a brief interview that had been conducted with a man from the 1930s who grew up in Whitfield and who was a servant who worked for the Boland family. And he listed what kind of livestock they had. He remembered members of the family and all this. And I'm like, why? Nobody but me would find this. <laughs> you know, like things like that keep popping up every time I go do historical research, no matter what the topic is. And I'm not necessarily a fatalist, but I do believe that Sometimes the universe kind of pushes certain plates in your direction for whatever reason. And every time I do a project, there's always some extra research that comes out of the woodwork like that, that 
is biographical about Edith's early life. I can't explain it. It makes no sense to me. But I think at some point the universe is just going to push me to to say, hey, you need to do this. But do you, you obviously feel that there is something that is guiding you to do the, the projects that you do. And I think a creative person is always driven by something else bigger than themselves to do whatever it is that we do. And uh, speaking of your, you talked about writing for this documentary. The words that you use in it are absolutely poetic. Absolutely poetic. The thing that you said about the clock and then having the clock dedicated literally right after the premiere of the film, if that wasn't serendipitous, I don't know what was. And I mean, <laughs> but the words you used were absolutely poetic. Well, well, thank you. It's, uh, um, you know, I, it took me a while to find my my particular style of narration that I use. It, uh, when I, for the first film that I, the first feature length or full lengthy film that I ever made, I made it a few years ago. And I remember hearing it play back and I was, it was just so dry. And I thought, Oh gosh, it's like I'm sitting through a lecture in college again. This is boring. I can't make it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, you know, I experimented with my voice a little bit over microphone, experimenting with sort of timbers and pitch and writing styles. And I, I ultimately landed on a style that, you know, where it's okay to be a little poetic, a little emotive sometimes, you know, it's, it's that, that draws people in. And with the clock thing, that's very much what I wanted to do. I mean, clocks show up a lot in my work anyway. They're another recurring theme that you see in my films, but, um, you know, I felt that the clock, it reminded me of the clock from that film, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I know of it. I have not seen the film, but I know of what you're talking about. The premise is at the beginning, there's a clock that, mm. you know, ticks. And at the end, the clock shows up again. And I, I won't give any spoilers away, even though that movie's half as old as we are now. <laughs> but um, but I, I saw the clock in the lobby of the Bowling Wilson and I asked it because it obviously is very conspicuous. There's some kind of story to it. But at the time, I didn't know anything about it. And I molded over for a couple of days and I thought, here it is. Here is, and I'm sure there's a, a specific adjective that describes the kind of literary tool that is. But, um, but you know, there's, this is what, we can use to tell the story because it's been here for pretty much the, all of the George Witt's life. For, you know, for whenever there's been a hotel here, there's almost always been this clock here. And, so, uh, so you had the focus of your documentary on the clock before you knew the clock was going to be dedicated that day. Yes. I did not know the clock was going to be dedicated until the week before. <laughs> wow. Uh, see what I'm talking about? Uh, serendipity, the way it lines up. I'm I'm a sucker for things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And 